Hello, God's people. Come back again for our worship service here in my home in, in the office downstairs at my house. And going to be bringing a, a special message right now. Uh, the best I can tell from my notes, I've only preached this type of message one time exclusively on this subject uh, in uh, the past 15 years, just one time. And, and it's on giving, it's on finances, it's on uh, stewardship. That's shameful for a Baptist pastor, shame on me uh, for only having preached on this one time in the past 15 years. But no apology and, and really no complaints accepted because I so seldom deal with that this subject. But I want us to consider the issue of money, of giving, of stewardship, uh, and uh, and and that subject. And uh, wait, oh, do I hear? Do I hear computers powering down all over Kansas City? I trust not, because the subject of money is everywhere in Scripture. In fact, Jesus used money as a teaching illustration or an object lesson as much as he used any other subject. And so it truly is an important uh, subject in the Word of God. Now, we've been at this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic for a number of weeks now, and not only has the world been occupied with personal and global physical health, it very well could be that many of us have also had to go through our minds personal and global financial health. And so today, I want to share a fresh reminder about how a believer should view money. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you'd make your way to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and uh, I will read verses 6 through 10 and verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, that is clothing, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich, or desire to be, or long to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, every sort of evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Picking up to verse 17. Charge them who are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that is, until the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life or when they go to be with the Lord. Now, as you know, 1 Timothy, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, is known as a pastoral epistle, a pastoral letter. And it's basically that instructions from the Apostle Paul 
to his son in the faith, his young son in the faith, Timothy, who may have been in his mid-twenties, it's believed at that time. And this young man was the pastor of the model first century church at Ephesus. And in this book, in 1 Timothy, written before 2 Timothy and Titus, so it, 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 it's really the, the beginning marching orders for those in the ministry, it gives instruction about what a pastor is to be about. And in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, Paul told Timothy, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself or conduct thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Paul told Timothy, I'm writing to you so that you'll know how to function within the church. Well, how is he to function? Chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, of what things? Of the things that Paul is writing. Put them in remembrance. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourish up in the words of faith and of good doctrine unto which thou hast attained. Verse 11, these things command and teach. So I am told as a pastor through Paul going to Timothy and then by extension, local church pastors throughout time that I'm to command and to teach these things. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance or attention to reading to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, that is, of the leaders. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save or rescue thyself and them that hear thee. And that would be the listening audience. That would be the church. And so I, I'm on good ground, good footing to share this message from a pastoral epistle commanding pastors to remind the people of God, to even command the people of God to obey what the word of God says. And today it gives us this fresh reminder about how the believer should view money. Okay, first of all, three points, if you're taking notes. My attitude toward money, point one, should be trust in God, not in gold. Verses six, eight, uh, six to eight and verse 17 speak to that. Trust in God, that's to be my attitude, not in gold. You see, a believer... This is the general operating principle because it speaks of my attitude. It speaks of where my heart really is. And it's going to either fit into an attitude of contentment. That is, God has provided to me. He has entrusted to me a certain amount of resources and I'm grateful. Or if not contentment, then the temptation is I'm going to have an attitude of resentment. That is, I'm being cheated. God has dealt me. Uh, a raw deal. I don't have as much as that guy next to me, as that person in the pew at church uh, next to me. Folks, money is an excellent measuring device to determine 
one's spiritual attitude. In fact, Jesus spoke to that. You'll remember in Matthew chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there, in Matthew chapter 6, I want to offer three things about the attitude of money that it reveals. In Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2, it reveals one's purpose. Jesus says, take heed, or pay attention, or beware, that you do not your alms, that is your giving, your your generosity, don't do that before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, that is what you give, don't sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, that they may have glory from men verily or of the truth. I say unto you, they have their reward. And so it reveals one's purpose. That is why I am doing what I'm doing relative to money. And then in verses 19 through 21 of Matthew 6, it reveals your passion, your real, the fire in your heart. Money is a good indicator of that. It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So it not only uh, speaks of my purpose and my motive, but it speaks of where my passion is. And then, at the end, of, near the end of this chapter, it reveals one's level of peace or one's level of commitment where it talks about don't be fearful there in verses 28, 29, 30, 31. Don't be anxious of what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, with what you're going to be clothed there in verse uh, 31. Uh, In verse 32, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the things of God first and foremost, his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. And so, it very well could be that your attitude toward gold, money, is actually an indicator of your altitude with God. That is, are you walking in the heavenlies? Are you living in the uh, the presence of the Lord moment by moment? Or is the love of money, resentment for not having enough, is that driving, uh, dra- dragging you down. Jesus said, you cannot love God and love money at the same time. So a believer's attitude toward money must be one with the conviction, folks, that God owns everything. And that's not just a, a nice thing to say. I have to own that in my own soul, that he owns everything. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they who dwell therein. So for one of his children to dishonor the Lord in withholding or by withholding his or her offering, nope, I want it for myself, God, this is mine, it's to deny his sovereign ownership. Either he owns all there is, including me, or he doesn't. And the word of God says, that he does. And so it's very important that I have the proper attitude toward money. And that is, uh, I am to trust in God, not trust in gold. Think about uh, you who, who are parents. Do you discipline your children 
for a wrong attitude as well as a wrong action or only for a wrong action. I trust that you address wrong attitudes as well. Well, God's the perfect parent and he will adjust my attitude and I don't want to force him to do that uh, to take me through a difficult time just simply to get my attention. An unhealthy, an unhealthy attitude toward money caused Achan to sin in Joshua chapter 7. He died because of that. It caused um, Delilah to sell out Samson in Judges chapter 16, and he died because of that. It caused Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5, and they died because of that. And it pushed Judas, this love of money, pushed Judas over the edge to betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And he died because of that and is in hell this very day. My attitude toward money is a very serious issue. Folks, contentment is not to be confused with complacency. Oh, I'm to be content with what I have but that does not mean I'm to sit idly by and twiddle my thumbs and do nothing. Not at all. Wise stewardship says I should make the most out of all that has been entrusted to me. Let me give you an example. If I could sing like Chuck Wainscott or Dave, Dave Wallace or Michael Phillips, uh, if, if I could play a, a piano like Diana, I could play an organ like Anita and, and, and lots of others that I could name then I should do that. Wise stewardship says that I should do that. But since I can't, I'm to be content, but I'm not to be complacent. First Timothy chapter six alludes to those who are rich with goods. Notice in our text, in verse 17, it says, those who are rich, charge them, command them. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be high-minded because you remember, God is the one who gives us all things richly to enjoy. He's the owner of everything. So my attitude toward money is not to be arrogant. Look what I have. Look at how, it must be how spiritual I am and, or how hard I work or anything like that. No, I am to be ready to give, ready to share. <clears throat> Where would each of us fit in to world history relative to uh, money, relative to monetary goods. Look at your life and where would you uh, fit uh, in, in the big picture relative to everyone uh, throughout world history? Well, the answer is for any of us who has the, the wherewithal and the resources to be able to watch something like this online means that we have some expendable money. We have uh, some cushion. We have some wiggle room that everything is not just going for food and shelter and clothing. In fact, uh, if, uh, if the truth were known, we would all, almost all of us, be considered very, very rich, very wealthy compared to people throughout world history. <clears throat> At the funeral of a very rich man sometime back, the question was asked, I wonder how much he left behind. And the preacher who was officiating 
that funeral service said very quickly, all of it. And so my attitude toward money is to be trust in God from whom all blessings flow and not trusting in gold. That is not being a lover of money. Secondly, and by the way, your, your, uh, your attentiveness and, and, and your listening is just commendable. So thank you. Secondly, in verses 9 and 18, verse 9 and verse 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, the second point is my, not just attitude toward money, but my activity with money should be this. Use money, love people. Use money, love people. And really, throughout time, everyone's approach is generally uh, going to be the same. That is, either I'm going to love money and use people, or I'm going to use money and love people. Of course, the Word of God would teach that we ought to use money as a wise steward, but love people. Uh, Verses uh, 9 and 18 talk about that. Those who long to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And verse 18, that those who have money do good, that they be rich in good works. In a 1990, so 30 years ago, Gallup poll, it was reported that those who made less than $10,000 a year gave 5.5% of their income to charitable causes. So those who did not make very much at all, maybe today it would be equivalent to a family income of under 18,000 or maybe under 20,000 or something like that. Five and a half percent of those people, and those are believers and unbelievers, it's kind of everybody lumped together, gave five and a half percent to charitable causes. But at the same time, those who made 50 to 60 thousand dollars a year that is five to six times more gave 1.7 percent of their income to charitable causes now folks it's not to say that giving means one loves jesus lost people can give to church work and the like but not giving that's not virtuous either My activity with money should be to use it and love people. And so, examine and evaluate the the activity of your giving. What would the offering plate say? (laughs) If if the offering plate went by you uh, week after week after week as it passed by, what would it say? What would that invisible angel be thinking? when he saw the activity of your giving to the Lord's work compared to your activity of giving to other interests. You see, it's not really an issue of how much money one has. It's an issue of what is done with what one has. It's not, do I have money? It's really, does money have me? That is the really the penetrating question I have to ask an answer. You need to ask an answer from the word of God here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So one's activity with money is really not based on quantity. 
It's not just the filthy rich who make money of God. Many who are profoundly needy are also profoundly greedy. So it's not an issue of quantity. The greedy are grumpy. First Chronicles 29.9 says that the generous are joyous. And I'm so thankful, pastoring Redbridge Baptist Church, that we continue to grow in the grace of giving. We've been blessed for, oh, I don't even know how many years in a row of exceeding budget uh, in giving and missions in giving year after year after year. And yet it's a shame in so many places that God's work is really being stifled because God's people are greedy or not filled with faith. We must not stop at Red Bridge. We must not be faithless. Folks, the work must go on. Jesus is coming soon. That's what this text uh, clears us, uh, clearly tells us that um, at, lay hold of these truths um, until he returns. King David understood this, uh, this idea of attitude and activity relative to his giving. In 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24, 2 Samuel 24, 24, a man offered to give David, King David, an ox for a burnt offering, which was going to be offered to the Lord. And David told the man that it was not right for him to offer to the Lord that which cost him nothing. And so what specifically should be our activity when it comes to giving? Well, uh, a universal principle is bring first fruits. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so when I receive a paycheck, when there's when payday uh, uh, takes place, when I get some type of of uh, remuneration for goods or services, I'm to honor the Lord with that to bring an offering, and I'm to do so with a cheerful heart. Second Corinthians nine seven says God loves a cheerful giver. I'm to do so regularly. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, written to a local church on the first day of the week, when you come for a worship service, let everyone set aside, lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Some 25 years, check that, some 250 years ago, a pastor in England named Andrew Fuller was collecting funds for the missionary work of William Carey. So he was collecting a missionary offering. And a man man came to Pastor Fuller and said, Well, Dr. Fuller, seeing it is you asking for these funds, I'll give five pounds. Fuller immediately replied with tremendous zeal, Sir, seeing it is I, you will give nothing. But seeing it is the Lord Jesus Christ, how much will you give? And so not only is our attitude to be proper, but our activity, what we actually do with what we possess, or what has been better stated, what has been entrusted to us, it 
matters. It matters to God. It should matter to God's people. And then thirdly, my anxiety about money should be, I can't take it with me, but I could send it on ahead. If I'm anxious about what is going on in the financial world right now, that might be an indicator that I am not trusting the Lord to the degree that I should and that he commands me to. Verses 10 and 19 speak to this issue of I can't take it with me. The love of money is the root of all evil. Some have coveted after and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In verse 19, it says, laying up in store a good foundation against the time that they may lay hold of eternal life. I can't take it with me, but I can send it on ahead. Now, folks, the temptation, the very real temptation, I'm I'm subject and prone to temptation just like you are. It's not like I've arrived or anything in a walk of faith. I'm a work in progress. You are, likely you would admit that as well. And so there is the temptation to long after finances, to be anxious about getting more. There's the real temptation to be fretting about getting. (laughs) And the word of God says, do not be like that. It would really be sin for the child of God because it violates the principle I just preached last Sunday from Philippians chapter four and verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Tell the Lord, don't wring your hands about it. For Romans 14, 23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And so I must trust him and not have anxiety welling up in my heart. But a message like this, this alone might might be causing anxiety to well up in your hearts because it could be that your focus is not on giving, but on getting. People being busy, fretting about giving instead of living, uh, fretting about getting instead of living to be giving. Jesus warned about this in Luke 12 and verse 15. It says, a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. That's not what your life is to be about in just the accumulation of goods. The argument might be offered, I can't afford to give. Well, that's like saying, as as a young married couple, that I can't afford to have children, therefore we're not going to. Giving to the Lord's work is to be a disciplined part of my life with a heart filled with gratitude and joy in the same way that raising children is to be. I'm a steward and I must be faithful in how I handle my stewardship. To say that a believer cannot afford to give is really a ludicrous position. Think about this. Can you afford to have God's blessing withheld from you? Can you afford for the Lord to 
Take away that job, take away that health just to get your attention because you're loving material goods more. It's rivaling how much you love him. Oh my, folks, don't be put in that position. That would really cause anxiety if you were uh, being disciplined by the Lord. And that's exactly what uh, the prophet Malachi told uh, Israel, the last book in the Old Testament and near the end of that book, it says in Malachi 3, verses 7 through 11, even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. The Lord's saying, you've disobeyed me. Return unto me and I'll return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you say, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein or how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there, there may be meat or food in my house. And prove me. In other words, put me to the test herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open uh, to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, we don't know, parenthetically, if that blessing was going to be money or blessing in some other way, shape, or form. It doesn't specify that. But it does say, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, when you honor the Lord in attitude, in action, and without the presence of anxiety, the Lord is happy to bless in any number of ways, in a myriad of ways. If God set his mind, though, to getting your attention through your finances, it, it would be forever that you would be taking two steps forward and three steps back. And in a year from now, and in 10 years from now, and in 40 years from now, there would be a leanness to your soul simply because of not honoring the Lord in your finances. Now, I can hear you through the internet wavelengths. Some might be thinking, Pastor, easy for you to say, you have a good job, your wife works a good job, your kids are all grown and on their own, and they're all doing well. Um, it's easy for you to preach that. Let me give you a personal testimony. Uh, and I'm not, uh, this is not glory, glory to me. I had to walk through uh, many, many years of what some of you may be experiencing even right now. In 1980, I was honorably discharged from the United States Navy. So that's 40 years ago. I graduated from college in four years in 1984. Had a good job. I was a chemist. Worked for a chemical company. And God had called me to preach a, a couple of years before that. So I was looking for him to open up a church in, wh in which I'd be able to be the pastor. We had our firstborn in diapers. And the second one was on the way. 
and just living payday to payday there in the early to mid-1980s. Well, um, we had two sick little ones uh, for months. And in 1987, uh, just three years after uh, I got uh, 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 my job and had just got started in the ministry, oh, by the way, I also blew my appendix during that time, which set me back uh, thousands of dollars because of lack, uh, loss of work and, and, and the like. But in 1987, we had seven inpatient hospitalizations in the lives of two of our children, including one trip to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. I paid thousands, tens of thousands of dollars out of pocket. That was after the insurance met their obligations but with the pharmacy and the hospital and the surgeons and the anesthesia and the radiology and the, and the pathology and all of the other things that go into that, uh, I owed thousands of dollars, paid every cent, but it took five years of every available penny going to keep our lives going and to pay off all of those medical bills. And yet, folks, in the midst of that time, my wife and I never missed an offering uh, in that entire time. Now, I'm not saying I didn't ever worry about it, not saying I didn't have to rob Peter to pay Paul, as it were, but here's the point. And, and it's not because I'm particularly was super spiritual, but here is the truth of it. I knew who owned me, and I knew who had control of my life and that he could be trusted. God can be trusted or he can't. And if he can't be trusted, what are we doing? What are we believing? What are we preaching? What are we praying? The word of God says, and my testimony in my life is that he can be trusted. So I want to ask you, where is your heart relative to giving? Is it filled with worship? Do, or do messages like this stir up anxiety in you? Well, I want to ask you to look at your checkbook. Look at your bank statement. And let it tell you where your heart actually is. Folks, don't let the devil rob you of this area of worship, of this area of commitment. Don't force the hand of God to deal with you until you acknowledge his ownership. Yield today. Surrender to him today. He is worthy of all of your allegiance, of all of my allegiance. May we serve him together all our days. God bless you as you do.